Howdy. Welcome to Healthcare Marketing Insights for the week of February 22, 2010. This is Chris Bevelo. I am president of Interval, healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. And with me, I have a few people. So I'm going to start on the left with Adam. <laughs> hey there. Adam Meyer, design director at Interval. And I am Jackie, account coordinator at Interval. And we have a guest with us, too, who I'm going to introduce here in a second. Uh, and I'm going to say this was completely planned because this happens to be our 50th episode, our 50th podcast. And so we wanted to commemorate that moment by having on uh, a, a guest that we've had on before, Reed Smith. Reed, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on the 50th, <laughs> uh, 50th episode. Yes, we we took a lot of time. We said, you know, this is a big one. This is the, uh, what's 50? Is 50 silver? Something like that. And so you couldn't find anybody else. And so, so I... <laughs> well, like we we kind of joked, our, uh, our our podcast recording from last week, uh, GarageBand ate it. And so we didn't have one last week. And I kind of joked on Twitter that which that was too bad because we had Bill Clinton and Jennifer Aniston <laughs> in the studio for that. So so we had already kind of gone through them and we thought, well, who who would be third after after the former president and uh, actress, so we went with you, Reed. Clearly, I'm a logical follow-up to that. So. <laughs> yeah. You've got you've got Bill Clinton's accent and Jennifer Aniston's charm. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Hang on, I'm going to update my Twitter bio now with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Reed, you were with us uh, last year, and uh, you've you've moved around a little bit. So now you're an interactive media consultant uh, down in Austin. And you're currently working with uh, St. David's Healthcare in Austin, correct? That is correct. Cool. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we're going to dive right into a topic that, uh, Reed, you wanted to talk about, and that's the integration of social platforms and social media into traditional hospital websites. So, Reed, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of background on what you're thinking there, and we'll, uh, we'll start chatting on it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my thought is, there are a number, you know, everybody's seen Ed Bennett's uh, spreadsheets and numbers, and there's all these hospitals on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all this. Uh, you know, I'm just wondering, realistically, how many of these have integrated these platforms into their hospital website? You know, not just a little banner, you know, click here to follow us, and it takes you out to a, to a website, uh, which which is okay, but but realistically, how many are pulling YouTube videos into their site or, or another, uh, you know, video host site, uh, you know, Flickr feeds and uh, Twitter feeds, maybe maybe even hashtag feeds within Twitter, you know, things like that. You know, what are they actually pulling into the site? Why are they pulling it in? You know, they have any success with it? Uh, you know, they do any live broadcasting stuff like that? And not, you know, just having recently uh, gone down this path or, or in the middle of going down this path, I guess. Uh, with St. David's Health here, here in Austin, uh, looking at what to integrate and how to do it. You know, I just, you know, I was curious on what y'all's take, uh, you know, what you see with the, with the different hospitals you work with or healthcare companies you work with of what, uh, what people are doing. Adam, do you want to dive in there first? Sure. Well, you know, I think it's, it's kind of, it kind of covers the spectrum really. I mean, I, I guess I don't, I don't think we've seen too many people who have really, or any who have really, uh, integrated those um, components into their websites, but I, I've, we've definitely seen people getting into using them. And we've also we also have clients who just don't know 
where to start with it. Um, so it's really, uh, man, it's still really all over the board. I, I don't, th- I don't think we're at a point yet where hospitals um, fully understand how to leverage it, let alone uh, fully understand what these tools are. So I, I mean, for, the, for a broad overview, that's my take on it at, at this point. Yeah, and I, I guess I would reflect the same thing. I do think one of the exceptions to that is YouTube or uh, Vimeo. You know, I think a lot of hospitals that are they're moving more into video. That's probably the fastest adoption rate, and a lot of them use those to host, or they have YouTube channels, and, and that's pulled through to their website. So there's some integration there. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's pretty rare, Reed, that we see uh, hospital websites there that have a their Twitter feed you know, right there on the homepage or even accessible, uh, or, you know, even the, the Facebook postings coming through again, certainly if they have Facebook or Twitter, they've got some kind of icon where you can click through to those destinations. Uh, but we're not really seeing it come the other way. And, you know, even blogs, you still don't see a lot of blogs as much as you, you would think. And, uh, one of uh, one of our current clients who we've given kudos to in the past, Children's Hospitals and Clinics of Minnesota, uh, you know, they've been out on Facebook for at least a year. They do a great job of it, uh, but they're just now introducing uh, or just have recently, it might have been within the last month, uh, kind of a, an organizational blog on their website. So that's fairly new to them. So, uh, you know, I just, I think it kind of reflects that, it's still taken a lot of these organizations a long time to even adopt social media to start with. Uh, and then once they do, yeah, they're, they're kind of slow in, in moving to the next step of integration is, you know, what are you seeing? Reed? Are you seeing different things than that? No, I, you know, I think that's probably pretty common. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if it's um, simply people do not understand or even feel like they can tie it back to anything measurable or see the, you know, the, it's harder to see the result or, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. As you guys, I'm sure from working with hospitals know, it's somewhat difficult to get uh, additional manpower in the marketing departments. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some mm-hmm. of it probably has to do with uh, just people are stretched pretty thin and this is one more thing. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, you, you said you work with the, the children's hospitals. I mean, what did did y'all go through any training for like content creators? Was this something they just started, you know, kind of picked up on their own or? Yeah, they, they've done that on their own. Uh, they, they really uh, jumped in, you know, almost head first with Facebook. Uh, and I can't remember when we started talking about it, but it, it may have been about a year ago. Uh, and I, and I think the last time I checked their friends, they've, they're up well over 2000 fans or friends. Uh, I don't have it pulled up right now, but uh, so I think they're doing a really good job and it's a very rich Facebook experience, but they did that all on their own. And I think they've, they do have some folks on staff there that are a little more savvy than in other organizations, which is a good thing for them. Uh, but you know, frankly, we still see, uh, boy, I don't want to use a percentage. Let's say half, half of the hospitals and health systems aren't on it at all or don't have a Twitter feed, don't have Facebook still. Um, and so, you know, I know you mentioned Ed Bennett, Reed, he had a post, which we can link to in our show notes, uh, it was titled time to rethink hospital social media adoption. And that was, uh, on the 14th. So not too long ago. Yeah. I saw that. That was, that was interesting. 
It was, and, and it's it's kind of funny because he he gets to a point in his post where he says there's a 53% adoption rate, but to get there, he has to call a whole lot of hospitals. He cuts out like half of them because they have their own Facebook. They, they have social media blocked. And so the assumption is if you have social media blocked, unless you have people working from home, it's really hard for them to have a, a vibrant a social media presence themselves. So I think in the end, he's estimating about like 805 hospitals in the U.S. are doing some sort of social media. Uh, but if you start with the 6,000 that he does, you know, that's he's done some factoring to get it down to 53%. That 805 out of 6,000 is more like 12% or 13%. So, uh, you know, certainly there are different different arguments about whether you should use 6,000 or 3,000 or whatever. And, and Ed's post does a great job of outlining how to think about that. But it it's still not a, I don't know if it's even a majority. Yeah, and I think, you know, that post did a good job of, of whittling that down and, you know, showing that 53% adopt, you know, that, that I guess more or less have the ability to. And... But I still think you have to look at the 6,000 because it still is what it is. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you know, it's kind of like in sales, you have leads and qualified leads. You know, it's kind of the same thing, you know. So I guess it's just however you want to want to spend those numbers for whoever you're talking to. So um, I, I don't know. So, I mean, do you guys see 2010 as just more of the same? As well, far as, as far as, okay, you guys need a blog. You know, you need a blog to put content in to replicate out to Facebook and Twitter and this, that, and yet, you know, I mean, you still having those discussions and, uh, you know, or, or people looking for kind of what, what's next. I, I still think it's going to be catch up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my personal take organizations catching up, uh, you know, blogs don't seem to be as high a priority. And I think the main reason for that is, uh, they're harder to do. You know, they're, they're, you need somebody with some kind of writing ability. You need somebody that has actual um, content to share. So that might be a clinical person within a hospital. And those two don't always go together, right? So you may have a ghostwriter. It, it's a much more difficult project to get out than Facebook monitoring or Twitter posting. So I think, you know, I would assume that's going to to lag or, or not pick up nearly as much. I would hope Facebook picks up more because that's where our, at least we think the real opportunities lie uh, because you're you are immersing yourself in networks of folks in your market and, and people that would want to pay attention more so maybe than Twitter. Adam, what are you thinking? Well, you know, I think to Reed's point earlier, one of the one of the things hospitals don't consider enough is repurposing content that they're already creating or while they're creating some of this content, whether it's um, educational, you know, I, I just think of some of the hospitals here who have, you know, medical staff newsletters or who have community newsletters, they have um, other educational endeavors that they're, you know, constantly working on. They're constantly um, creating materials for, or, or, or writing about, you know, they, to, to think about, adapting some of that content to a blog, which it might just be, you know, that, that way you don't have to, you don't have to think about doing it from scratch. You just think about how can I take something I've done here and, and kind of mold it so that it's perfect for the audience of, of the blog. Um, I think, I think you know, you'd be hard, you'd be hard, it'd be hard to find a hospital who's not doing some of that, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's just helping them open their eyes to see uh, the ways they can use that for more than just their original intended purposes. 
Yeah, and right. I think I think too, you know, a lot of it is education, like you're saying, where uh, because initially, I, I know at least when I go into a room full of clinical people and say, you know, I want you guys to write blog posts, the first thing they think of is <laughs> like a you know a twenty five hundred word dissertation right. on diabetes, you know, which that's fine if that's what you've got, but it doesn't, you know, it could be three pictures and a caption. Right. And so, I, you know, I think it's a different mindset of, listen, this isn't something, you know, you're not trying to get published in your trade journal. You're not trying to, you know, and um, so if they can kind of start wrapping their mind around that, uh, that, that seems to help a little bit. And plus, you know, these, they've written so much stuff and been interviewed for the paper so many times and, you know, dietitians are on TV and in the news. You know, so I mean, they they have content. I just don't think they realize it. Right, right. And and you know, I I always kind of think of consumer oriented marketing first, but I think there's real opportunity for blogs and that kind of content for uh, physician referral marketing and building mm-hmm. uh, better relationships with referring physicians and affiliated physicians. Uh, because if you can provide valuable content. Uh, that's something that those audiences will really pay attention to and will follow, and especially the sophisticated ones. I think physicians are really interesting. I think you you see some of them being you know much quicker adopters of this technology uh, than the organizations maybe they work for or they refer into. Others, of course, you know don't know how to send an email, but but it's interesting you have that spread, you know? And so there, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that audience too. And, and I don't see that being explored, uh, at least, you know, from what, from what we've seen as much as it could be. Yeah. So, that's inter- yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's, that's a good thought actually. So what about the the mobile environments? I think that's been perking up more in some of the blog posts that I've been seeing. And, uh, boy, that just seems so far out ahead of where these hospitals are. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example of a, uh, you know, other than something like, you know, Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic, the the folks that are have the resources and the ability to go out there ahead of time, just your average hospital down the street, trying to think of an example of how they're using uh, mobile. You know, I see a lot of things that, you know, and I wonder how successful some of these things are, but where, you know, c- could you use it in a campaign where, you know, text whatever to this number to register for this seminar or, uh, you know, get more information on a support group or what have you. I, you know, I don't know, I haven't seen any real, you know, those are just things I've heard people mention, but I've never really seen anybody use it much to speak of. Right. Uh, um, you know, of course you have iPhone apps, you know, and that's, that's the first thing everybody thinks of when you say mobile, I think mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. Uh, and now with the iPad coming out, you know, that's just one more, um, you know, Ooh, we, we need something for that, you know? So, um, I don't know. Do you guys see a lot of good examples or any examples? <laughs> I don't know if we have good examples. Um, you know, I think one of the best places that these organizations could start, rather than rather than looking at some of these individual platforms and thinking, you know, what can we do specifically for this platform, to start thinking about the content that they've got electronically already, and start or stop thinking about um, how how can I deliver this in one through one venue. Like right now the web, the web, their website might be their only focus, you know, which is formatted for a, to be, to be viewed and, and interacted with on a, on a computer, a laptop or a desktop um, to start thinking about structuring their content so that it can be experienced there so that it can be experienced on a mobile device, like a phone uh, an iPad. Um, 
Because you know you can you can bring up websites on you know I've got an iPhone I can bring up the uh, you know any hospital website well almost any hospital website um, right now but it's not necessarily tailored to a very good experience on the phone I'm trying to there are a couple hospital websites that have um, you know that do restyle their content so that it can be experienced um, on a smaller screen much better than uh, than many hospitals but I'll, I'll have to see if I can I have some of them bookmarked I'll have to see if I can dig them up. Um, but I think that's a starting point is just to look at this, look at what you're already doing and how can you make that easily available and accessible to people on some of these devices rather than really thinking, well, what can we create from scratch or what kind of, uh, you know, app, app can we build for the iPhone? You know, th- right. there, there might be something, but you kind of, I don't know, I think you're kind of putting the, the cart before the horse there. Cause you have, you know, there's, there's an easier place to start with all that stuff. Plus, you're re- plus, and when you're when you're repurposing the content you're already doing to, to work across devices, you know, it's um, you've got you've got stuff that's uh, not restricted to any one platform, so it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I you know I haven't I haven't seen a lot of hospitals you know make that you know mobile optimized mm-hmm. website, and I, and I think that would be very um, very useful. You know, whether it's uh, uh, maps, directions, address, phone right. number, you know, things like that, that people need in the mobile environment, obviously, yep. Yep. uh, would be, would be something. Yeah. That'd be a great place to start actually. Yeah. And if I pull out my iPhone when I'm in a hospital and I try to, and you know, they've got wireless access available. The first page it could bring me to is, you know, something easily, nicely formatted. that has got a maps of the hospital and uh, visiting hours and you know, all that basic stuff that I might just want to have on hand right off the bat. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're, I, you know, I guess the only thing I would land to it is I've only seen ideas and hints of things, Reed. I haven't really seen much. I mean, the one one that I remember that hasn't been developed yet is from the Mayo Clinic, again, of course. And it's it's an iPhone app, so it's going against what you're kind of saying there, Adam. But I think it's, it's developed specifically for that. Uh, and it's something to do with meditation. So it would provide music and uh, something that you could use to help you meditate, which I think is a fantastic idea. Uh but it's it's really a you know it's kind of a niche innovative little thing it's not you know part and parcel to the main business of a, a hospital so uh kudos to them for trying to do that i'm not you know i i just it's those kind of things that seem to be popping up and and not more basic applications right and you know i i know from a clinical perspective there's more and more doctors and nurses who are you know toting iPhones while they're while they're working and can pull it out with references on there and um it's pretty, it's pretty handy. I know my wife's a nurse and she's, you know, mentioned a number of times that a doctor has pulled out a, you know, drug references and other references right on their, on their phone. It's, it's a lot easier than carrying around. Uh, I think we've all seen those drug, drug reference books. They're like a cinder block. They're so thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. well, and Chris, to go back to your point earlier, talking about referrals, you know, it seems like there would be a logical app to uh, make it more conducive to refer patients around between, you know, a hospital medical staff or, you know, something like that that would help, help them, you know, accommodate that need. I, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like, but it just seems like something that would, would make sense. Yeah. And, and that's a great point because I think what that brings up is the challenge uh, even with things that have been that that organizations try to do even through their website uh so you know referrals you know if you go to the website and a hospital website and you're trying to find a doctor 
you know, there's lots of ways to create these tools like the one you just suggested, Reed. The challenge is rarely or, or often not the tool. It's the systems in place in the organization to handle what comes out of it on the other side, right? So uh, you can set up an, an easy web application to help people find a doctor or to kind of go through a channel to get there. It's when they get to wherever they get, are there people on the other side that are handling it appropriate? Does it go through the call center? Does it get lost? Does it shoot to somebody's email box and get routed around? Those are usually the obstacles that pop up, right? That, that become much more difficult to overcome. And uh, you would like to think that some of these applications or the ability to do these applications would help drive change in that area. Right. Uh, but that may be why we see it taking a lot longer than it, it would. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. It's the, the human element is where the problems are going to arise, not necessarily the technology. It could be easy to implement these apps and change, change websites to work across uh, platforms. But once it gets to that uh, point where a human is involved, often, unfortunately, <laughs> seems to be where the, uh, the, the, the hurdle is stumbling block. So if you could just do this uh, in and amongst yourself and not have to evolve anybody else, you could get a lot of stuff done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the solution, though. I'm not sure that uh, people on the other end of that would want to hear that. That's <laughs> Probably the, the not. Terminator threat of technology. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Well, we'd love to get some more feedback from people on that topic. And uh, I know there are people that listen to the podcast that uh, have opinions on this. So hopefully we'll hear from some of those folks and uh, keep that uh, keep that dialogue going in that mm-hmm. area. And hopefully we'll see more accelerated change than we're expecting uh, this year, coming this year. But I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> So I want to I want to move to another story uh, or to a story that came from CJ uh, at CJ Bryant, who is Carla Bryant. You know her, right, Reed Smith, through Twitter. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Why did I refer to you as your full name? I don't. <laughs> I don't know, but just just con- continue doing that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call everybody that. You might today. as well get the middle name I... in there too. Thank you, Adam Meyer. <laughs> All right. So Carla Carla posted this uh, story about Lowe's. Lowe's Home um, Improvement Store. We're all familiar with Lowe's. And this is a story that I guess it's from Cleveland.com. I don't know if it came from somewhere else originally, uh, but we will we will post the link here. And here's I'm just going to read this read the first few parts of it. With medical costs climbing and healthcare reform stalled, Lowe's companies decided to shop nationally for the best deal in heart surgery for its employees, and it landed at the Cleveland Clinic. The nation's second largest home improvement retailer reached a three-year agreement with the clinic. The deal was praised widely as a groundbreaking business effort to purchase health care based on documented quality and value. The move could spur others to shop far and wide for medical treatment. So this is, in many ways, a very new development. Uh, there are some examples I'll give in a second that I think have happened before, but I don't know that there's been an example of a large corporation contracting directly with a provider in this way. Uh, and, and what's interesting, what's cool about it is it shows how healthcare could work as a real market mm-hmm. where things like price, because they did get a discount for making this deal from the Cleveland clinic. So price value uh, quality would actually drive behavior, which is what we're all after. Uh, what I think is interesting is this isn't consumer driven choice. This is employer-driven choice. And maybe that is the silver bullet. Maybe that is the solution. Uh, because we've been pretty frank in the past about we're not sure consumers are equipped or would ever be equipped to make these kind of decisions. 
uh, for certainly for acute things like a, a heart surgery, if you've got a chronic condition, uh, I think consumers and, and patients spend a lot of time learning about that. But uh, for somebody that's you know looking at a knee surgery or heart surgery, uh, whether they would ever be qualified enough to make the right choice economically, uh, but I sure think employers could do that. They have the resources and they have the incentive, right? I mean, they, they're the ones that are, that are really spending a lot of money on this. So it helps them from a healthcare cost perspective and a productivity perspective, if they can find the right option. So, you know, what's your, what do you guys think of, of that development? Well, it's exciting to see, I mean, now that that's reform right there. It's, It's exciting to see that come from within the system rather than, you know, being mandated by the government. I don't know. I just started. My wheels are turning now. Now that I see this story, but I mean, it would just be exciting to see this happen uh, in, in, in more in more scenarios. Just to see see if this if this works, if this sets some kind of a, a benchmark that other companies can strive to uh, achieve. It's an interesting. It's an interesting way to um, competitively differentiate yourself as an employer too. Depending on you know where you who you who you can partner with. It's kind of it's it's cool. It's exciting to see something like this. Do you guys have anything like that down in Texas, Reed? Not that I know of. Um, that, that is interesting, though. You know, I mean, we have uh, a system here kind of in central Texas, same model as, as Mayo and, and Cleveland, you know, Scott and White Healthcare. It's a, you know, physician-employed type uh, <clears throat> clinic, clinic model. But I, that, that would be interesting. I'd be interested to see logistically how that's going to work, you know, from – across the country and um you know what what does that do for quality measures you know i mean does that with having to have the doctors buy in the hospitals buy in everybody everybody cooperating to to up these quality measures um that's interesting all of a sudden that makes it makes it real you know it's it's not just a uh well, that's that's fine, but I mean, we're the sole community provider, and right. you know, they'll they'll just come here, you know. Versus, um, yeah, no, that's 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 very interesting. Well, I think it was interesting too that you know my first thought was, well, Lowe's must be based in Cleveland, but they're not. They're based in North Carolina. I had no idea where they were before, but um, you know, so so there's travel involved there. Uh, and so, boy, if you can start breaking down the geographic barriers, that sure opens up the idea of competition too. Uh, I'm not sure how that's all factored in because that's a, you know, if you live in North Carolina and you're going to Cleveland, uh, maybe there's some Cleveland clinic presence in North Carolina I'm not aware of, but, uh, you know, there needs to be a cost savings there to, to accommodate travel. Uh, there needs to be some kind of recognition that your family is going to be put out um, convenient-wise to go that far. Uh, they do talk in the story about how employees are going to have incentives, financial incentives, to choose Cleveland Clinic for this kind of care. So they're, they're trying to account for that. But uh, if, that, if that works, that really opens things up, I think. And so, uh, you know, what would that mean for a hospital or a provider or a health system from a marketing perspective? Yeah, can you imagine the marketing directors now having to – you know, you've always had to compete or have to worry about out migration to, you know, especially if you're in a medium or small size market, people going to the big city, you know, to, to get care or, you know, even to drive part of the way across the state, you know, like here in Texas, people will drive to Houston to MD Anderson, 
you know, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, same way other places. But now you're talking about people like going halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that, that's a whole different ball game. And, um, yeah, that, that is, that's amazing. Well, and, and I don't know much about Mooresville, North Carolina. So that's where I think Lowe's is, according to the story, Lowe's is based. Uh, if you are Mooresville Community Hospital or whatever the heck is there, you got to be kind of scared, to your point, Reed. I mean, uh, I don't know what systems are around there. I have no idea. But uh, this is a major, you know, Fortune 500, probably Fortune 100 company uh, that's basically packaging up all its, well, at least its heart care and shipping it out of state. So, boy, that's, you know, we, we, we talk about the threat of medical tourism from overseas. That's just, you know, continental medical tourism. So, uh, yeah, that could really shake things up. And uh, I don't know how you combat that other than having a better offering, better care, better price, better uh, quality, all of that, which is what it should be about anyway. So be something interesting to watch to see if this spreads. And I mentioned earlier that there was something similar to this in Minnesota. And I'm, I'm not going to say it was the same thing. I tried to search for it here while we were talking. It was a it was a coalition of major businesses in Minnesota that banded together to try to force lower costs. And I don't know if they did that through the payers. So in other words, they all banded together and went to Blue Cross and the other major health insurer here and said, okay, which one of you is going to give us the biggest deal and we'll give you all of our covered employees. Uh, I do believe they tried to work directly with the health systems too. Uh, And for a while, I think they had some power. And this was, I'm going to say, late 90s, early 2000s. But I don't think it exists anymore, and it certainly wasn't an individual organization. It was a group of them. So uh, definitely something to watch, see if uh, we see more of it. Well, you know, that's, that's got to be, you know, and again, like you said, I don't know what what hospital is there, but that's got to be detrimental. You know, I mean, that's you look at large employers like that using your facility. And so, you know, I know I've been in towns that have had, you know, large factories or manufacturing plants. And I mean, that's, you know, they employ half the town, you know, and that type thing. And, uh, and that, that's just, yeah, that's going to be interesting to kind of watch and see how that works out. Yeah. Maybe we'll, maybe in 10 years, we'll see a real consolidation in this industry. Like you see in every other industry where a lot of the marginal players, a lot of the smaller players will either get absorbed or go out because people can now, uh, move beyond their local community you know, I don't know if it's that easy, but it'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. So we are we are past our half hour mark, which hey, it's our fiftieth episode, so I think that's okay. <laughs> but uh, we probably should draw it to a close. Reed, it's been great having you with yeah. us again. Yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me come on. Yes. It's been fun. And uh, we'll try to make it happen again uh, before the year is out. And, you know, maybe we'll save number 75 for you. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'll, I'll go ahead and mark that down. Yeah. <laughs> Put that next to your Bill Clinton, Jennifer Aniston. Goals. Exactly. Yeah. See me on episode 75 of uh, the Interval Podcast. Exactly. We'll have to, we probably know the date from here. That's halfway through the year. That's going to be about, I don't know, July or August, somewhere in there. Somewhere around there. Awesome. Yeah, we'll still have snow on the ground here, so (laughs) more than likely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again, Reed, and for uh, Adam and Jackie. This is Healthcare Marketing Insights, and we will talk to you next week. See ya.